Welcome y'all to another KMH Classic. This is the first of the two Patreon episodes I said that we would release in December. It's never been on the main feed before. And I think you'll see why once we get into it, because this is easily one of the darkest episodes I've recorded. I will say right up front, you know, generally my idea when I started this podcast is I wanted it to be true crime, but not something that would shock you to be caught listening to while you're waiting in line to pick up your kids from school or something like that. Th this is one that you, you don't need to listen to if you're around kids. We're talking about child sexual abuse, child predators, pedophilia, and fantasies that get even darker than that. Now, Understand the protagonist did not engage in any of his activities. He fantasized about them. He wrote stories about them, and he was part of an online child pornography ring. So if any of these topics upset you, don't listen to this one. This is a hard episode to listen to. But it also highlights some really excellent police work, and it shows off a little bit on how these predators operate and work. And it's just one of those cases that it seems like would be on some sort of cheesy cop show because it's so unbelievable. So I'm offering it to you as a gift. I hope you respect it. Yeah, I don't want you to enjoy it. If you enjoy this one too much, you need to talk to somebody. But I hope it's entertaining in that way that only the darkest recesses of true crime can be entertaining. So with that, I will let you enjoy this interesting story. Our story is about Ronald William Brown, who is then 57, of Largo, Florida, who in 2013 was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison for possession of child pornography. The sentence was actually an unusually harsh one. In federal criminal court, there are sentencing guidelines that Congress has come up with, and judges follow those religiously. Um, it's almost a math formula, and it spits out a range of, of what sort of punishment the defendant should receive if he's found guilty. Here, Brown was called to serve only between six and a half to eight years in jail. But prosecutors successfully argued that the nature of the pornography Brown possessed and Brown's other actions in totality really required a departure from the guidelines. Brown's attorneys argued, look, what we're talking about here are acts that never took place. You're punishing him for things he never did if you deviate from the guidelines and give him a tougher sentence. Judge Whitmore, the sentencing judge, disagreed. He said during the sentencing hearing that all the adjectives in the world fail to adequately describe the depravity of the situation, the situation essentially being Brown's entire life. This is why Brown will be in jail until his late 70s, and then it will be monitored as a sex offender for the rest of his life, assuming he survives prison. One thing I want to highlight here is 
judges don't like deviating from the guidelines, A, because it's something that the legislature came up with. And typically you will see courts will defer to the legislature on any matter that the legislature has spoken to. But B, if they do deviate from the guidelines, they have to do a lot of extra paperwork. They have to jump through a lot of extra hoops and they just don't like doing that. But in this case, the judge felt it was necessary. I think it was necessary. Y'all will definitely think it was necessary by the time we're done. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty, let's talk about puppets. Um, if y'all listened to our Killer Clown episode, I think it came out probably in October of last year. Um, we discussed how clowns are inherently scary because they have this uncanny valley vibe to them. You know, they've got oversized eyes and giant smiles. They're, they're, they look human, but they're off just enough to be really creepy. And you get that with puppets, too. Um, you know, they, they look like some sort of fabric-covered golem that seeks nothing more than, than devour souls, right? I mean, it, they're just creepy. That's why there's been so many scary movies made about them. Okay, so why am I rambling about these puppets? That was Brown's job. He was a professional ventriloquist and puppeteer and actually was rather successful as far as that profession goes. He was well above the Joe Bluth stage of performing for all you Arrested Development fans out there. Like, he was truly popular in the Tampa area. He would regularly get asked to perform at churches, malls, birthday parties, you name it. And he was known as a Christian puppeteer and really advertised that point pretty strongly in a lot of his marketing materials. He was also a regular on the Christian television network in the program they aired called Joy Junction. Now, sadly, I, I say this as a Christian, but sadly, someone who forces their Christianity in your face, that's probably a red flag, and it certainly was here. Now, Brown lived in a mobile home park, and he was known to never socialize with the other adults. But the kids that lived there loved him. He would, they would wait outside for him to get home from work. And he would spend a lot of his free time just entertaining them, teaching them about puppetry. Um, he also drove a bus for his church. So every Wednesday night, any kid that wanted to go to church, they could ride with him and he'd get them there. Not only that, he would feed them. He'd often buy them pizza before they left. Um, and the kids just thought a lot of him. He claimed on his Facebook page that he enjoyed mentoring young boys and would often hold workshops for kids where they could learn more about his art, if you want to call puppetry that. I guess art of the damned. Now, despite the charges Brown was convicted of, it's totally undisputed that he had no prior criminal record, that he had spent decades around children and had never once received a complaint about displaying any sort of predatory tendencies. But that doesn't necessarily mean Brown wasn't a monster. So what was it that made Brown's case so disturbingly unique here? So we're not going to be able to appreciate the situation without knowing the gory details. And we're going to dig into what police discovered here about this quote-unquote Christian role model. Now, 
like I said, Brown had no criminal history. In fact, his, he only had two interactions with the police ever that we know of. One was when he was taking the children to church, a, a neighbor called and said he was kidnapping the kids, which was odd. Police investigated, talked to the kids, talked to the kids' parents, found out they were just going to church. The kids wanted to be there. The parents had given permission for it, so nothing happened. Now, the more unusual encounter with police, Brown was pulled over just during a routine traffic stop. And the officer who conducted the stop noticed something odd in Brown's car. There was a pair of boys' underwear just laying on the passenger seat. And so this officer, that something about that struck him as funny. And he began grilling Brown about, what are you doing with little kids' underwear? Well, Brown was able to talk his way out of any suspicion. He said, look, I'm a puppeteer. I'm a ventriloquist. I have, you know, all these dolls. And I have to dress them up. And some of them are big enough that I need toddler-sized clothing. In addition to that, you know, I, I work a lot with churches and Christian youth groups and things like that. And from time to time, I get asked to teach children about the dangers of sexual predators out there. And so, you know, the underwear is just kind of part of that act. Well, the officer bought the story and Brown was allowed to continue on his merry way. And I hope no one gets mad at the officer here. I, I think, you know, he did a good job by questioning Brown. Because it's not illegal to own kids' underwear. I mean, you can have a trunk full of them if you want. If you don't have kids, it's weird. Even if you do have kids, it's weird just to be driving around with it. But it's not illegal. And frankly, Brown's excuse for having them makes sense, right? So the cop, I think, did a decent job in investigating the situation with just that little bit of evidence. It's sad that. Brown was able to talk his way out of it, um, but it is what it is. So here's where we get to the nitty-gritty. Brown only became a subject matter of this show because one of his online friends made a mistake. A pedophile by the name of Michael Arnett was caught sharing child pornography in Yahoo chat room. When he was arrested, federal agents searched his house, searched his electronics, and they found that not only was Arnett distributing child pornography, he was also producing it. Agents believed Arnett was the center of a fortunately small child pornography ring after they went through his emails and chat history. And in doing so, they of course identified people that had been receiving the images and speaking with them about inappropriate topics. And one of his friends had the online name of U.E. Lime. Well, that fella happened to be Brown. Now, several of these chat logs have been made public. And if you go online, you can find affidavits from FBI agents that were offered as attachments to search warrants and other. I, I think the indictment has some attached as well. Um, I read through them. I would strongly encourage you not to read through them. They are extremely graphic and disturbing. I couldn't finish them. I read what I felt like was enough to be able to give you all an idea of what was going on. 
but it was, you know, it, it was a little bit more than I could stomach because ultimately I think it's fair to say that Brown and this little group were not quote unquote, normal pedophiles to the extent that's a thing. His, uh, the sickness in them ran much, much deeper as demonstrated by these online chats. Um, Brown wasn't interested in just seeing naked children. I mean, he was, but what he really wanted, what his true preference was, is he wanted to see dead naked children. His chats revealed an intense desire to kidnap a young boy and torture him before finally killing him. Brown seemed to just revel in the idea that he could hold so much power over a young child. He discussed the joy he would receive in watching the boy's eyes bug out with fear and, and horrible things like that. He really, the only part of this fantasy of his that he struggled with was whether or not to kill the child through strangulation or suffocation. He said he thought strangling the victim would be a lot more challenging, but, quote, hotter, unquote. Yeah, I mean, you have no idea how filthy reading these transcripts made me feel. It just burrowed down into my soul. Um, and I want to spare you all from as much of that as possible while still giving you an idea of what was going on here. Now, Brown was apparently the newbie of this little group, and the other members of the chat kind of became his mentors. And we're teaching him how to perform a kidnapping. They suggested, you know, taking a blackjack and clubbing the kid on the back of the head to knock him out was a good way to go because there's a small chance they were doing real damage to the kid. An alternative suggestion was just to punch the kid as hard as he could in the stomach, knock the wind out of him, and that way he couldn't scream for help as Brown ran off with them. It, 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 they had conversations like that. Another member also told Brown to consider a third option in addition to the strangulation and suffocation. That would be to drown the victim. This member claimed that he, uh, well, I'm presuming it's a he, but that he drowned his last victim, a little girl, in the bathtub. And he actually laughed at what a fighter she was. Um, you know, I'm not making this up, sadly. I am. So very thankful <clears throat> that police were able to break up this pedophile ring and that everybody involved was arrested and thrown in a jail cell. I've seen a lot of things. I can tolerate a lot of things, but doing sick crap to kids is just way, way beyond me. All right. I know y'all don't care about me. Let's get back to this macabre tale. Brown expressed some concern about being able to pull off this crime. He said he could handle the snuff part, but it was the actual kidnapping he was concerned about. He had members of their little club offered to help him, but several others objected, saying that the first time should be enjoyed alone. Now, Brown wasn't looking for an easy victim. He had his eyes on one boy in particular. He was creepily obsessed with this kid. Um, he would secretly take photos of him, not pornographic photos, just photos all the time. When he was arrested, police found over 100 pictures of the boy on Brown's computer. Listen, listen to this, okay? Brown would drive by the kid's school every day at 4 o'clock just to try to see the kid. All right? Imagine that. 
I mean, let, let me just this sicko based his entire weekday schedule around being able to drive by the kids' school at four o'clock just with the hopes that he could take a peek at him as he drove by. Now, this wasn't Brown's first love interest, as disgusting as that is to say. He had another child that was the apple of his eye, but he lost interest in the kid when the kid said that uh, puppets were stupid and kind of just pooped all over the guy's profession. During one chat log, um, the group asked Brown how this kid was doing, and he said, quote, sadly, he's doing well. I wish I had him tied and gagged in my closet, unquote. It's truly terrifying to think how close Brown was to actually following through with experiencing his disgusting little fetish for the first time. Um, I, I think it's worth noting, too, that when police searched Brown's home, they found just stacks and stacks of notebooks that served as journals for Brown going back into the 70s. And these journals were just fixated with this dark obsession he had. He had been writing and writing and writing about this fantasy for decades. So let, let's take a time out here for a second. Are, are you feeling okay? Are you hanging in there? If this has been too much so far, you may want to quit because I'm about to make it a whole lot worse. And this will probably ruin your day. Um, see, I haven't told you the entire story yet. Again, take to heart knowing Brown never acted on these urges, okay? But his dark little secret went darker and deeper than I've said and probably than most normal people could imagine. And this was a secret that was shared by all the members of this group. Seeing children naked wasn't enough for them. Seeing dead children naked wasn't enough. Killing children wasn't enough. No. No, Brown and his online posse obsessed over cannibalizing children. And some of the members of the group claim to have done just that. Brown literally got advice on how to properly butcher a child to get the most meat off the bone. I mean, they were talking about children and babies like they were cows and pigs and what a delicacy it was. And I mean, again, I've seen messed up things representing criminals. I've never, this, this is just unreal to me. Brown, um, expressed a deep concern with how to cleanly remove the blood from the body. And he was very nervous about messing up his first attempt. His uh, little group there encouraged him, but did admit that since his chosen victim was a bit older and thus bigger, he would have a bit of a challenge on his hands in trying to take care of that evidence. Terrifyingly, I'm not sure this was just a bunch of, you know, guy talk. Federal agents described some of the photographs they recovered from Brown's house, and some of the more tame ones included pictures of young children in oven pans or even laying down inside of an oven. Nothing indicated the children were killed or worse, but 
holy crap, is that freaky and scary, right? Brown kept the pictures he had been sent by Arnett on a CD that he had hidden in his dresser. His computer hard drive confirmed that he was the UE Lime that was the participant in all these chants. Now, the federal police forces wanted to indict Brown for a conspiracy to kidnap, as well as multiple pornography charges. But the prosecutors, the U.S. attorneys, decided that they could really only charge him with eight counts of child pornography under the law. And that's ultimately what Brown pled guilty to. So that's all we're going to discuss about Brown's online activities. That was more than enough. Again, he's locked in a cage effectively for the rest of his life. But I know y'all are listening and saying, why on earth would the federal government have a system in place where the recommended punishment is only six and a half to eight years for something this grotesque? So I wanted to discuss some of the legal issues in this case with the hopes that maybe that'll shake some of the yuckiness out of our brains. You know, Brown described horrible, terrible things. And he seemed to be wanting to kidnap this one child. But did he ever actually commit a criminal act in that regard? See, we have the First Amendment, which guarantees us the freedom of speech. And that freedom is not judged based on any sort of uh, what we like or what seems proper or whatnot. You know, that's why the KKK and Nazis and hate groups like that are allowed to hold rallies and parades and things like that. You know, so the question really is, at what point does Brown's speech become criminal? There's a couple ways here, and neither one of them really fit in the scenario. First, you know, if you threaten someone, you can be gotten for assault there. Um, Putting someone in fear of bodily harm through your words is a crime. And it's because you're affecting how that person is living. You know, obviously, if you're at a baseball game and the pitcher is not doing great and you say, I want to kill this bum. Nobody's going to truly believe that you're going to kill this guy. The pitcher's not going to hear you. um, So he doesn't take any real threat from it. But, you know, say you wait in the parking lot after the game and you've got a big knife and you see the picture and you say to his face, you know, hey, you're a bum. I'm going to kill you. All right. Well, at that point, yeah, you've probably committed assault and you're going to get arrested because the picture would have reasons to fear you standing there with a knife, having waited after the game for him in the parking lot. You know, that's, that's probably a credible threat. Why weren't Brown's chat messages criminal? They're horrible. They're grotesque. We don't want people talking like this. But nothing he did was directed towards his intended victim. His plans were discussed only in that little hidden group chat. Arguably, he took effort to keep those conversations secret 
So we don't have any objective evidence that he intended to cause fear in anyone. Okay, now you could also say, well, what about conspiracy? Aren't they planning? Don't we have a group of people here planning to commit this kidnapping? Just like the federal agents wanted to push for. And the answer to that is maybe. Um, You know, with the conspiracy, there has to be more than just talk. You have to take some affirmative step towards committing the crime. Now, if you're talking about breaking into a bank, talking about it isn't illegal. But if you talk about it and then you go buy some uh, lockpicking tools or some burglaring tools, that would be enough, I would think, to get you charged with conspiracy. Even if you took no further steps, you've taken an affirmative step to further the crime. And apparently the U.S. attorney did not feel that evidence was here that would support such a charge. And this is probably a smart move from the standpoint of if we start throwing everything we can at Brown, then things are going to get a lot messier. You know, to prove the conspiracy charge, they're going to have to present evidence not just against Brown, but against all of his cohorts that they were working together towards this goal, towards kidnapping this child. And honestly, the others in the group would probably take the stand of, we had no desire for that child to be kidnapped. We didn't want anything to do with it. He was asking us questions about how to perform a kidnapping, and we were answering them. Whether or not that would carry the day, it's doubtful, but I appreciate the U.S. Attorney's approach to this because you're not muddying the waters. You're sticking him with the crimes you can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, much less beyond a reasonable doubt. And that puts a lot of pressure on him and his attorney to come up with a defense to something that's indefensible. Okay, now I know y'all hate that answer, and I don't blame you, (laughs) but that's part of the sacrifice we make to have freedom of speech. Our founding fathers didn't want anyone to face jail time merely for saying something that was unpopular. Certainly they did not have this in mind when the First Amendment was drafted, but this is one of the results of how we ensure that our fundamental liberties and rights are protected. So having said that, I'm going to kind of make you hate the First Amendment even more. (laughs) Remember, Brown had that CD full of pictures. At least 200 photographs were on there, according to one source. But he was only charged with a few counts of child pornography. Each picture would carry its own charge under the law. So why did Brown face only eight charges? Well... I'm guessing it's because many of the pictures didn't meet the criteria to be considered child pornography. If you've got dead children in pictures who are clothed, would you consider that pornography? I hope most of y'all are saying no. You know, seeing an ankle isn't as risque as it used to be. Okay, we got dead children fully clothed laying in the oven. Really messed up, but again, not pornography, right? I think we would... Most of us would agree with that. 
Okay, what if you've got a drawing of a naked child laying dead, you know, on, on a serving dish? What if you've got a painting of a naked child just standing there? What if you've got a computer animated little um, cartoon that you can watch of a naked child being killed and, and put in the oven and all that nastiness? Would that be child pornography? Well, under Supreme Court precedent, no. And here's why. What is the purpose of the child pornography law? The purpose is to protect children from being exploited and victimized. That's why producing it, distributing it, and possessing it are all criminal acts because the idea basically is that if obviously if you're producing it, you're part of the problem, but if you're distributing it, or even if you're just possessing it, you're part of that economy. And without you, there wouldn't be demand for these children to be victimized. So that's why you can be arrested for possessing a photograph of an actual naked child as possessing child pornography. A child was hurt in the production of that photograph. But when you've got someone doing a painting of a naked child, no child is being victimized in that situation. And the Supreme Court said, look, as weird as it is, as disgusting as it is, as it is, this is part of our right on how we express ourselves also known as protected speech. Otherwise, here's the, here's the other side. I know you hear that and you say, what? That's crazy. That's sick. Okay. Otherwise, you're going to have politicians step into drawing lines in the world of art. And I don't know about y'all. I would not trust our politicians to do a good job with that. Let me give you an example of politicians drawing lines that I think is ridiculous. And I'm going to make fun of Alabama, my home state here. Under Alabama law, with parental consent, a 35-year-old man can marry a 14-year-old girl. Totally legal, as long as the parents sign off on it. Under Alabama law, a 35-year-old man can have sex with a girl who's 16 or older. And under Alabama law, a man, a 35-year-old man, can take a naked picture of a girl only if she's 18 or older. Okay? So you're allowed to marry this girl when she's 14. You're allowed to have sex with her with her when she's 16, but you can't take a picture of her naked until she's 18. Now, arguably, I mean, all three of these statutes exist to protect the child. We don't want people, we don't want eight-year-olds to marry. You know, that's just a public policy decision we've made. We've decided that as a matter of law, a child under the age of 16 cannot consent to sexual activities. Why then do we draw the line of taking a picture of her naked at 18? We've determined that at the age of 16, she can consent to having sex and performing other sexual acts, which is arguably much more exp exploitive than just taking her photograph. 
But this is what you get when you have politicians drawing lines. They don't always fit the pieces together to see the forest. They get lost among the trees. So do we really want politicians delving into the world of art in the same manner? Some of y'all are probably out there saying yes, and I get it. I just don't trust them to do a good enough job with it to come up with precise enough definitions. I think what we would get is laws that could be read in a way that would give prosecutors a lot of leeway in deciding who to prosecute and not giving the public a lot of guidance on what really is illegal. Okay, we're going to stop the episode here. We've, um, we've covered a very dark topic. Um, I hope this kind of shows you why parents need to be careful with their children. Now, I represented lots of people charged with sexual crimes during the course of my career. And when I say lots, I would say a few dozen. Um, Of those, I would say only one was truly a predator. Every single other person was someone who was an opportunistic predator. Meaning it was an uncle who was left alone with the child. Or it was a babysitter who was hired to watch the child for an evening. Somebody that the parents knew. Somebody that the child knew. You know, the media likes to play up the idea of child predators that stalk and kidnap and do all that crap. And Brown was certainly marching down that path. And so he would have been a predator. But I do I do want people to understand that to the extent you're going to be scared. You need to be a whole lot more scared of a stepdad or a brother-in-law or an uncle or a cousin or a babysitter or someone in your church. Then you need to be of a stranger abducting your child. There, you see some anymore that go for the easy target rather than kidnap and harm a child. So I hope you'll please keep that in mind. All right, let's get to our much-deserved palate cleanser. I think we really, really need one this week. And um, I didn't ask Eli to help with this one. I thought I should do it on my own, just considering the subject matter. And I wanted to find the stupidest palate cleanser I possibly could to help us out. And I think I found a pretty a pretty bad one. So let's see. What do you get when you cross an angry sheep with a moody cow? Angry sheep plus moody cow? You get an animal that's in a bad mood. Ah? Huh? Yeah. Ridiculous, right? Okay. All right. Well, that's going to put a wrap on our first-ish Patreon episode. I don't know what you call it. It was a tough one. I know you can see why I didn't want to release this on the general feed. Um, But, you know, know that episodes like this are going to be uncommon in what we do here. Most of our episodes will be fun. Hopefully kind of stupid. Um, Thank you for joining me today. Thank you truly for supporting our, our podcast. We really, really do appreciate it. 
As always, please share our show with your friends so we can grow our little group. Maybe not this episode, but um, some of our more fun ones. Um, you know, our Patreon episodes really aren't going to be locked in by any rules. So if you have a suggestion for something you want us to cover, the weirder the better, man. Just get it to us and we'll be excited to cover something that's just strange, bizarre, um, creepy, silly, whatever y'all want to hear, okay? This this is going to be a lot more of what y'all want to hear y'all are going to get. All right? So thank you again for joining me. I'm done here. Brad out. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.